Good morning, church. So glad that you're with us. I'm grateful uh, for you to take the time to gather as the body of Christ. Uh, We're talking about the body today. I'm especially grateful for those in Manistee uh, that are uh, there watching on a screen. And I hope uh, you also the video about the This Gift Challenge. And my hope is that every one of us will participate in that. In fact, as I was watching that video and Vicky was challenging us with the 10-second uh, rule, I was reminded of one of the inspirations for the challenge is actually I got forced in to the 10-second rule uh, several years ago right here in Buckley. And uh, since I have a microphone, I did, decided I'd testify. And, and this is kind of how I went down. I was in a store here in Buckley, of which there are two, and um, so you can guess which one it was. And uh, it was late at night, it was right around Christmas time, and I'm buying whatever I was sent by the family to go get, probably more chips or salsa or something like that. And as I'm checking out this real uh, big personality uh, person that was at the register, she doesn't work there now, um, so don't try to figure it out, but uh, very loudly, she's like, um, hey, do you want to buy a lottery ticket? And um, for a kid born and raised Wesleyan... I don't play the lottery. So I was like, I don't play the lottery. Thank you. And then she proceeded to give me this huge story about there was some mix up with a previous ticket that she had sold. And now we had this $5 lottery ticket and she was going to have to pay for it. And she didn't want to buy it, but she wanted me to buy it (laughs) because she was going to have to reconcile the cash register. And it was, and then, and then I was like, thanks, you know, I'm sorry. It was like, you know, But then she gave me this story. Come on, man, help a single mom out. So when you're in a very public place and there's people in line and everyone knows you're a preacher (laughs) and it's Christmas and your change is exactly $5 and she's like, come on, just buy it, help out a single mom. I got guilt tripped. I bought a ticket. Can I still work here? So I I put the lottery ticket like in the console of my vehicle and forgot about it until um, closer to Christmas, uh, one of my kids was being nosy. And all of a sudden the kid is like, dad, you play the lottery? And I was like, no, I got guilt tripped into whatever, whatever. Well, aren't you going to scratch it off? Because I'm that guy, right? So I scratched it off and I won a hundred bucks. And as I'm also a good Wesleyan, not leaving $100 on the table. So then there was this awkward back into the store, and it's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I was guilt tripped into buying this. I don't normally do this, you know, type of deal. And I got 100 bucks. Well, the way the end of the story worked is uh, I found myself um, on my little errands in a house, and in that house was a single mom. And I knew her story, and I knew she was on the struggle bus. And I've got $100 in my pocket, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to explain it at home about buying lottery tickets, you know. And then it was like, oh, I see, I see. And so I was like, this is for you, you know, 10-second rule. So that's what the this gift is supposed to look like. Not buying lottery tickets. <laughs> I know that was really convoluted. My thing is, let's ask God for eyes to see and, and cultivate a heart of gratitude by giving. Make sense? So, cool. If you have a Bible, if you would uh, turn with me, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
And uh, we're going to start in verse 12, but by way of introduction, I want to let you know where we're at in uh, this epistle. Paul is on about a three-chapter discussion of spiritual gifts. Now, if you weren't here last week, or even if you were, I want to remind you uh, of, of what he taught us in the first part of 12, because today is really part two of last week. So it, it's good for us to know where we've been. Paul said to us, and God says to us by his spirit preserving his word, that every Christian has a spiritual gift. It's not something you achieve. It's not something you have to beg for. It's, it, it's not a secondary like level. The moment you become a Christian, you're given a spiritual gift. Now, many of us don't know what these spiritual gifts are yet. That's why I challenge you. Do you know what your spiritual gift is yet? And we gave you some tools to maybe try to figure that out. But every Christian has a spiritual gift. It's like this supernatural superpower that God gives you. It's not really a superpower, but... Just go with me. All right, so this spiritual gift, the second point, is for the common good. It's not for yourself. It's not something you keep for you and you enjoy solitarily. It is for the common good. It is for the rest of the church. And this spiritual gift that is for the common good is meant to be given away. So there, I gave you the whole sermon and, uh, of last week, and I'll save you the trouble. Um, in verse 12, he, he continues this discussion and how it fits with everyone else. So here we go, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. He says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. So I want to pause right there. We're going to take this, the rest of chapter 12 in three chunks because I think it'll help us make more sense of it in our study together. And, and what he's saying in these first two verses can be summarized by what he already said. We are all baptized by one spirit into one body. Well, John, why are you putting up a point on the screen is what we just read. Because that's what he wants to emphasize. That's what we need to emphasize as well. We're all baptized by one spirit into one body. Now, the reason I wanted to pause here is as human beings, fallen people, who as you've heard me say before, behind every set of eyes here is straight crazy, including this one. Human nature, it, it, sometimes we wonder, have I gotten all of the spirit? Have I received everything that God has for me? So I became a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in what he did for me on the cross. But then we can go down the road a little ways and then we can get complacent. Or we can struggle with old habits or sin or what have you. And we find ourselves wondering, well, you know, I know that, you know, the Bible says and that preacher keeps saying that, you know, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. But maybe I only got a fraction. Maybe I only got a little bit of him. And so what happens with Christians and what happens within churches is sometimes we start looking for that next level. And we create division in the church. 
We start thinking that, well, you know, there's this kind of Christian, but then there's this kind of Christian. And then there's like tri-level Christian. And then we've got like, you know what I'm saying? I can tell by the giggles. That's just human nature. But what the Bible teaches is that when you became a Christian, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit at that moment. It's not a secondary thing. That's what I believe the Bible clearly says. In fact, if, if you flip over to Ephesians, uh, I'm not, I won't put it on the screen. I'll just read it to you. Ephesians chapter 1 is this great explanation of everything you have as, and having your identity in Christ. There's this one verse, verse 13, where the Bible says, In him you also were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So when did I receive the Spirit and when was I sealed? The moment I heard the gospel and believed. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the moment you are saved, baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what we do sometimes is we start chasing something else because we're wondering sometimes, well, did I get all of the Spirit? Why, why, why is she so fired up and I'm not as fired up? Well, maybe, maybe I, I got to get to her level or I need her gift. I need her experience. And so the reason that I'm going there, and maybe this isn't for you, if this is just for 10% of us, if this is for one person, we're just going to take this little excursus here. You know, maybe you grew up in a church like I did sometimes where you were encouraged, even though you were saved, maybe to come to an altar and pray through and now get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, I, I remember, I think I've shared this before, being a little kid and, and, and hearing a typical testimony go like this, which by the way, remember back in the day when we testified? Remember that? Now, now we do a podcast because we can edit it <laughs> if we have to, right? And we don't want new people to feel awkward when people start talking about their cats. But, uh, um, well, let's be honest. I can remember a dude standing up and saying something along the lines, well, I was saved in 1974. And then in 1976, I went to an altar and that's when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was sanctified and I haven't sinned a day ever since. And I remember even as a kid going, I think you just did. <laughs> you know what I mean? But even though that was well-meaning and it might have been describing a real experience, what it served to do is say, well, we have saved people here. And then we have sanctified people here. In fact, I have one friend right now who I fiercely disagree with. He thinks there's a third level. There's like saved and there's sanctified and then there's filled. That's dangerous. That's dangerous in the church. The Bible says you're baptized into the Holy Spirit and everything that God has for you is there. So I don't think the question is, am I lacking some of the spirit or do I have all of the spirit? Church, here's the real question. Does the spirit have all of you? 
does the spirit have all of you? And so instead of just negating all those experiences, because I think they're real, they're real experiences, like, well, well, John, tell me what happened to me. So I, I don't want to discourage you if you're wondering, well, you know, like for me, for example, I was saved when I was six years old. I think, I think. I had another pretty big experience when I was 14. And, and, and so what was that second experience? Well, there's a couple of options. Number one, it could be semantics. We could, you know, denominations fight over wording, I think sometimes. So it could be that. Or it could be that that second experience that I thought was like, oh, now I'm 100% in. Maybe that's when I got saved for the first time. It's possible. Because many of us that were raised in church, you just always assumed you were Christian. And there was something missing, so then you went and prayed for something, and then, wow, the gospel really hit you. Maybe you were just getting saved for the first time at age 45. It's possible. Or it could have been what we call a revival. We all need a revivals at times, don't we? We get in ruts. You get fired up, and then you kind of get used to the thing. Oh, is he going to say that joke again? Oh, is he going to intro that way again? Are they going to sing that song again? Is she really going to wear? I mean, we do that, right? We just get in ruts. Don't look at me like that. We get in ruts. You're all going to make a ton of you know, resolutions in a couple weeks because you're going to be like, where did this come from? I got to get out of this rut. Well, the same thing happens spiritually sometimes. And I think those, those oh man, that's when I was, had this second experience. I think it's like a Holy Spirit kick in the pants that sometimes we need. And those experiences are great. Lastly, it, it, it could be, and I don't want to dwell on this any longer, but it could be that that experience, especially if it was like a spectacular, if you came from, from a, you know, a denomination with that kind of a more spectacular gifts on the hour, I would say very lovingly, it could have been a different spirit, not capital S, just saying. So Paul says, if you're a Christian, we're all baptized by one spirit into one body, We're baptized, here's the theology, by Jesus in the element of the Holy Spirit into something, into the church. Now, there's many people that think, I don't need the church. A Christian saying he or she doesn't need church, it's the same as if a Christian says, I'm a temple but I'm really only one brick. You need other bricks to make a temple. And all through the Bible, the implication is that when you are baptized into the family of God, it's not unto yourself. Because if you look here, look in verse 12. He says, and all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. Why didn't he say, so also is the body of Christ? Just like your body has many parts and they all have different functions, as the scripture says, and all these parts come together and make up one body, why didn't he say, so also is church? He doesn't. He says, so also is Christ. I don't want to be a heretic, 
But it sounds like he's saying the church and the name Christ, he's using interchangeably. So think about it like this. When Jesus walked this earth, he took on flesh and blood so he could minister to people around him. They could touch him. They could hear him. They could see him. He could share a meal with them. You know, blind would see, the lame would walk. He had flesh and blood and he was doing ministry. Then he died on a cross for my sin. He was buried, resurrected, ascended into heaven. But he's still flesh and blood on this earth. So also is Christ means you're it. We're it. Flesh and blood, being Jesus with skin on, inside the church and outside the church. We're all baptized by one spirit into one body. If I don't hustle, we'll be here all day. So let's go. Verse 14, he goes on. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, Paul's using a metaphor that even a child can understand. The same way a human body has many parts, from cells to skeleton, to tissue and cartilage, to, to, I better just stop there because he's talking a lot about body parts. I almost named this sermon body parts, but I thought that was weird. You know, <laughs> we're talking about body parts today, guys. It'd be awkward. What he's saying is simply this. You need the body and the body needs you. You need the body and the body needs you. So he already said we're baptized by one spirit into one body. This is the body and it's not optional. And it's almost comical, the body parts he's talking about. You can you imagine an eye sewn onto the side of your face over here where the ear is supposed to be? Or a hand, you know, glued onto your foot walking around? How creepy is that? You know? Some of you can do that with your toes, and that just got weird, but... He's saying you belong here, you belong to everyone else, and everyone else belongs to you. This is the diversity 
that we display with our personalities, our genders, our ethnic backgrounds, our ages, our capacities, our talents, our abilities. He's saying all of us together make up this body and you're not a body part unto yourself. Now, I wonder if we could peek into the spiritual realm, what our church would look like. One church in two locations. Dependent on, are these people really in the church, participating as part of the body, or are we just kind of gathering but not connected? Because that's possible. You know, you can be an eyeball and just kind of roll into church on a weekend and then roll out headless and unconnected. You can be a finger inchworming your way in, but you don't want to meet anybody. You don't want to get to know anybody. And so when it's over, you're just going to inch your way out. Oh, sorry there, pal. Right? Because we can gather under one roof, but not really be connected. He says, you need the body. In order to be a body, you need to find your place in the body. So you need a body. Why do we need the body? Why do we need the church? Well, I mean, there, there's a lot of different reasons. The first one is for fellowship. To know people and to be known. Now, I know the Northern Michigan man way, and, and I include myself in this, is I don't need anybody. I wouldn't leave the house if I didn't have to. You know, when I hear stories of when God created the heavens and the earth, he created a man. He had the whole earth to himself. Temperature was perfect. And apparently it was naked time. Because there was nobody else. He had all the food he needed. He had his job. He didn't need anybody. That's what we think. But it's a lie. It's a lie. God said it's not good for the man to be alone. So he created Eve. And we have the first community, the first marriage, the first Family, and we've gone on from there. Well, I, I mean, we still meet people that are like, I don't need anybody. People just hurt you. You know, if I had it to myself, I'd be alone. Well, you're married and have kids. Well, well, you know, I've got a wife and kids. That's all I need. As soon as you add one, you've got more. You do need somebody, don't you? We do. In that way, church is, is very much like cheers. A couple old people here. Remember, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And some of us want to go where no one knows our name because they know who we are. But we go for fellowship. We come together to worship. We come together for instruction from God's word, if necessary, for correction. But in the context of, of what Paul's talking about here, what God is telling us, he's given us a spiritual gift. And if you're never in a church or you're never in with the church, you have nowhere to exercise that gift. You don't operate with a spiritual gift by yourself. You can't because spiritual gifts are given for the common good. It's not given for you. It's given for you to give it away. That was last week. And so I think many of us were wondering, do I have all of the spirit? And that's why I asked the question, does the spirit have all of you? No, because you have this spiritual gift and you're just hanging on to it. Or you don't know what it is and you don't want to find it because if I find it, then I'm going to have to use it and then I'm going to have to be with people. Well, no one likes you either, bro. <laughs> but maybe we could get it out and kind of, you know. 
You need the body and the body needs you. The body needs your gift. And some of us, we're like, we can't quite figure it out. Am I the eye? Am I the ear? I feel like a spleen. You know, and I, I spent a little time looking up spleens and I can't even explain what they do, but I know you need it, right? Or maybe, maybe you're, you, you have the spiritual gift of appendix. Remember the appendix for years and years we thought it did nothing? And then I thought of a whole illustration with that. Some of us are very good at being the appendix of this body. We just show up and do nothing. Well, appendixes do something. In fact, best I can figure, they do two things. Number one, if an appendix gets infected, it blows up and kills you. And that can happen in a church. You know, that person doesn't do anything, but they get infected and then they blow up and then they kill you. That happens. Thanks, appendix. The fact is, the appendix does do something. They're you know, in the research right now, it's something, and I tried to figure it out. I couldn't, the best I can decipher from Google (laughs) is uh, gut bacteria. But you know what? Your body needs gut bacteria. And if you're called to be the appendix, be the appendix and be gut bacteria. So statistics can tell us whatever. And so I, I, I say this with caution. But I saw two polls that I wanted to share with you. One poll said this, and it was a poll of Christians. It was a Barna poll or Pew Research, one or the other, I can't remember. And it was of Christians, and it was 18 to 35-year-olds. And they asked them, how important is church to your faith? The vast majority of them said, church is not essential to my faith. Now, we don't get to sit here and say, oh, that's why we have a young adult ministry, because there's some jacked up people. You know what? I I would say, um, in the words of Britton Bishop, who raised those young adults? We did. They're watching and taking all their cues from the generations that are clucking their tongues at them. How do you view the body? Are you an eyeball rolling in and then rolling out? Or are you really connected and in? The second stat that's been around for a long time, and I I don't know that this stat, or I don't believe this statistic is true of the church, but it said in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the serving. And 20% of the people also do 80% of the financial giving. Church, that's not healthy. That's not a healthy body. And there's some of those 20% are serving in areas where they ought not be. They're afoot, but because the face didn't want to show up, there being a foot and a hand and a face. And I wonder sometimes if that's why people aren't hurt by churches. It's because we have random body parts doing multiple functions because spleen decided I need a break from church for a while. 
I'm just saying. But when you have a body where everyone's playing their part in the organism, now we're operating optimally. Now, that's not a passive-aggressive swipe at our church. In fact, I was in a board meeting recently where, where they, the people that count these things, I mean, this is what we're celebrating uh, this afternoon with the, with the volunteer appreciation party, is that we guess that we're, we're well over 50% of our population is ser- serving. So when you hear someone up here talking about that, it's not that we're dying. Oh, we've got slots filled. We've got them filled. Are there more slots we need filled? Absolutely. You know, a couple weeks ago, I I preached in sweats to remind you that a pastor is just like a coach and we're a team. I don't think our team is yet playing to the best of our ability. I don't think so. Because there's still tired volunteers and there's still people sewn on to parts of the body that they don't need to be sewn on to. Is that okay to say without, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just being honest. And part of my job, part of the leadership of this church is to help our people find their place in the body so we can be everything that God wants us to be. And so that you can be everything God wants you to be within that body. Paul says that when we do that, we honor one another. We show respect to one another. There's no division, there's unity. That's even what he was on about when he's saying the less honorable parts need more honor. And and the more respectable parts, they don't need as much honor. So, you know, someone that you put up here with a microphone is replaceable. I was overwhelmed with the idea that, you know what, I, I get a lot of honor, but I'm replaceable. There's a lot of good teachers, a lot of good talkers. People know the Bible better than me. But the reason we need one another is because some of our parts that maybe we would never put up on a stage, we can care for them and show them more honor. But we can't if we're not all a part of the body. You need the body and the body needs you. So this is how Paul concludes. Verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues. And he's just listing some gifts again. Those aren't all the gifts. We talked about that. There's gifts in all different places here and in Romans and Ephesians. But then he goes on a little bit of a rhetorical rant. Verse 29, he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the reason I sectioned that off at the end is because he's making a different point besides you need the body and the body needs you. He's driving the point home. Is everyone a preacher? Does everyone work with kids? Is everyone in the cafe? Is everyone a crossing guard? Is everyone play lead guitar? Is everyone on the drums? Does everyone do cleaning? Does everyone on the prayer team? No, that's the obvious answer, right? He's saying that, right? Just go like this, help a preacher out and then I'll end quicker, all right? You know what he's saying? He's saying, do your job, do your job. You don't need to do her job or worry about his job, or do their job, find your job, and do your job. 
I think I've used this before. Paul is being a spiritual Bill Belichick. If you're a football fan. Now, I know all the Lions people are like, don't you ever talk about him here. Hey, look, Bill Belichick, the head coach, the New England Patriots, you win 17 division titles, go to nine Super Bowls and win six of them with a clown for a quarterback. Some of you got that. Hail Michigan, right? Okay. That was for my MSU friends. You might be doing something right. Well, his players reveal the simple coaching philosophy of this very successful team. It's three words. Do your job. That's what he tells the football team. If you're a center, snap the ball, don't fumble the ball. If you're a quarterback, call the play and try not to throw it to the other team. If you're a running back, don't fumble the ball, run as far as you can, don't let him catch you. If you're an offensive lineman, blow somebody up and make a hole. If you're a defender, tackle the dude before he can get past you. If you're a punter, kick it far. That would be my job. (laughs) Kick it far. How far do you want me to kick it? Far. Do your job. Are you on special teams? Ooh, you're special. Do your job being special. You play exactly 30 seconds every Sunday. But do your job. Whatever it is. You're the water boy. Good job, Adam Sandler. Do your job. Be the best water-carrying water squirter that is out there. Not right now. I'm in the middle of something. You know, he's like, hey, you want some water? It's simple, but that's what Paul's saying to the church. He's saying, do your job. Figure out what your gift is. Do that. Figure out what your lane is. Get in your lane. And like I said before, I think sometimes we accidentally hurt people because well-meaning people see, well, I'm in this lane, but no one, those guys aren't in their lane. And so then we try to get in all the lanes and then people get hurt. That's what happens. But if all the church shows up, has suited up and is doing their job, we got all the lanes covered. I don't have to worry about another lane. I just have to worry about my lane. And so I wonder, do you know what your gift is yet? We introduced that last week and we talked about everyone's got a gift. And I know some of you know what it is and some of you don't yet. And we said that's going to be a journey. It's, it's just, it's like growing in Christ. It's not like you have to ask for it or, or, or get that second blessing. You already have it. You just got to figure out what it is. And sometimes we got to run around the lanes and figure out, oh, I'm not supposed to be in the fast lane. I'm definitely in this slow lane gift. Okay, get in the slow lane and keep up with the campers. But do your job. Do you know what your gift is yet? You know, some of you have told me even this week how frustrating it is because you don't know or you took the little spiritualgifttest.com test and you're like, what? Well, that's not gospel. What did we say? If you don't know what your gift is, ask God. Start the process. Start the journey. Second, ask people around you. And by the way, listen to them. I mean, I've, I've had men in fight club, you know, where I've said, I think your spiritual gift is this. Look, I've been with you for a year, two years, and this is what I see. This is who you are around the table when your wife's not around and they're not around. This is you stripped down. I think this is your spiritual gift. Oh, no, not me. I could never do that. Well, I'm just saying. And I was watching uh, a World Cup soccer game or two yesterday. Imagine that. And I'm there with one of my best friends. And, and uh, you know, at halftime... I said, hey, I took that spiritual gift test. First one he's ever taken. I said, really, what'd it say? And he said, exactly what you told me you thought my gift was five years ago, discernment. I said, cool. 
And that was, a, that was a test that just confirmed what people who had loved him and knew him already said about him. So you ask God, you ask people around you, maybe take a spiritual gift, maybe some trial and error, but figure out what your gift is and use it for the body. Otherwise, you're just a spleen trying to take up space or an appendix waiting to blow up and make a mess. But I think when we think of ourselves that way, like a team, men and women, students, that understand, look, we all have the same spirit, baptized into this body, and I need this body, and this body needs me. Everyone's needed. We all belong. And when we all start focusing on doing our job, there's a cool thing that happens And it's not for self. This happens inside the church and it happens outside the church. When the body parts start doing their job, we make this invisible God that we serve and worship. We make him visible to one another and to the world. The flesh and blood of Jesus that sits at the right hand of the throne of God who one day will return for his people. In the meantime, we're his flesh and blood body serving one another, giving ourselves away out there and the invisible becomes visible. That's why we're doing the this gift challenge, just to kind of give some of us that spiritual wham, kick in the pants. Or not. We can keep being disconnected, like some kind of horrific Christmas. I can't remember the name, but it's the the freaky movie with, uh, forget it. Body parts all sewn together in that weird Christmas doll. Yeah, whatever. Let's not be that. Let's be the church that Jesus called us to do. So I'm going to invite the bands uh, to come. And if you'll bow your heads with me, maybe pray a prayer, something along this line. If, if, If you don't know what your gift is yet, maybe this would be another time to ask God again. Lord, would you start to reveal that to me? Would you help me figure out? Uh, what my part is and what you want me to play in this body. Maybe you could pray that prayer. Maybe you're someone that knows what your spiritual gift is, but you've been uh, holding it back. Maybe uh, a prayer for you would be, God, I know what that gift is. Would you show me where you want me to use it and how you want me to use it? Maybe the step for you this weekend is to get behind the this gift. You're not ready for spiritual gift or putting it to use. You just have to learn to give yourself away for the first time. God, would you give me eyes to see? Or maybe you're not interested in any of these directions. Maybe a simple prayer might be, Lord, what's wrong with me? Would you set me on fire again? Love for you and for people. Father God, I thank you for your word that it is true. 
Spirit, I thank you for your baptism, for filling us, for gifting us, empowering and enabling, teaching, guiding, and counseling us. Jesus, for your sacrifice, an example of giving yourself away, would you help us to take the next step in being more like you and doing the same? All of this, God, is for your glory and not for ours. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and we sing. Amen.